we'll go ahead and uh, get ready to dive into Psalm 119, his word. And we will be journeying through this for the next um, probably eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, uh, all the way to the end of May. And our idea is, can we grab hold of, it's the longest uh, chapter there in Scripture, a lot of verses that we're going to work through uh, laid out. But I'm hoping that we can uh, work through Psalm 119 and, and understand it in, in a deep way, obviously filled with beautiful words. It's poetry. The, the Psalms, all of them, uh, begin with a call to delight in the law of the Lord. And a guy named Derek Kidner notes this. He says, this Psalm, this giant among the Psalms, shows the full flowering of that. And it gives personal witness to the many-sided qualities of Scripture praised in Psalm 19.7. So, Psalm 19, it's like the condensed version about God's word. And Psalm 119, it's this expanded look. Psalm 19.7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And it speaks to the effect of God's word and also the, the, the depth of it. Because we'll look at the word testimony and it has the idea of surety or dependability uh, tied to it. But Psalm 119 is the full look. It is the expanded view. Now, it's an acrostic psalm, and what it does, and if, if you have in your Bible, you might see Eleph Bet, and I'm going to mispronounce the rest of the Hebrew alphabet, but that's at least a start uh, to try. But every one of those, so understand the beauty in Hebrew, every one of those sections, 22 of them, and you have a handout, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, is the beginning of the, the, the first letter, second letter of the alphabet. And then in every one of those sections, every segment... And poetry does read pretty decent for us in this kind of two-phrase system that the Hebrews would use. But every section in there, every one of those eight verses, and we have verses, they have like a couplet, they would call it, begins with that letter. And so it's a beautiful layout uh, for a psalm, and it's quite lengthy. Uh, It is giving every alphabet uh, letter a chance to introduce eight successive verses on the subject. Now, Different thoughts tend to predominate each of these sections. And I share with uh, Mr. Melampi before the service, so I have titled all 22 sections. It doesn't mean it's a perfect title. Uh, I shared how I came to this. So I've been reading through Psalm 119. So Easter Sunday, I, I, I woke up early. I couldn't sleep. And so I read through my sermon and I could have just kept reading through my sermon, but if you read it too many times, it gets dull. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get one more read out of it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and read through Psalm 119. And it happened to be, I guess, my brain was working. So I had a pencil in hand. I have a journaling Bible. And so I read the first one, and I just wrote the phrase down. And then I did that four times. And so I just started putting a phrase with every one. And at the end of which, I didn't have any repeats. And I thought, hey, this is great. We'll go with this. And so you may, in the process of us studying this, say, Kenny, I think your title's terrible. Great, we'll change it, but you can't use a word that you've already used before. This is the game preacher's play, okay? So this is just a little gimmick and fun. It is not an acrostic. I just use the word consistently over and over again because I want to drive to this idea that God's word permeates. And so each one of these sections does have a more predominant thought, but because they're using the alphabet, because it's poetry, and because it's the Psalms, and because it talks about God's word, there are repeated concepts that keep on coming through. And so, as I mentioned, you have in front of you the overview, and that's the title to each section. And again, I'm happy to see different words come up as we talk about it. Um, The goal of our study is to then work through these sections, getting a grip on the theme. So our discussion question, just to put this out there, your tables are numbered, and hopefully at some point this paper will want to stand up. It gets folded through the, the printer, but you'll be numbered by tables. It's easier to say table three, and so whether you're comfortable sharing your discussion, if you have a spokesperson for the table, you want to hand it to me, we're going to have time of discussion about each section, answering some questions, and hopefully then sharing that together. So we'll have a little bit more time to work through it, but our idea is to get a grip of that full-flowered effect of God's Word. So we are in a society and in a world and a culture that loves instant gratification. We love the quick, speedy move through. Psalm 119 is not the quick move through God's Word. And so we're going to look at the implication of God's Word as expressed in the details of the psalm, and then we're going to use again the headings 
as our launch point. Now, I'm going to read through some of these and try to explain what I'm, what I'm coming up with the word. So when I say walk consistently, the word I put consistently is something I want to be burnt into your brain. Because the, the point of Psalm 119 has this principle of constancy that we don't do this sometime or most of the time. We do this all the time. And so as we work through it, you're going to walk in God's word consistently and then you're going to seek God's word consistently. And then we're going to get into this idea of desire, what it means to desire God's word. And then think, and I put in parentheses, meditate. And meditate is the right word. I use the word think because sometimes we hear the word meditate and people wander off into the wilderness. I've, I've had people say, oh, I meditate all day. I think about how to do things right all day long. That's not meditating on God's word. And so thinking about God's word, that it's in your praying constantly. Then there's the idea of focus. We're fixating on it, using God's word as in actually applying it. And so you're going to get it. There's going to be the idea of hoping. Uh, the word invest, and I use that because it starts off with this idea of God's word is my inheritance. This is what I get. We're going to treasure. We're going to connect to it constantly. The idea of longing for it, the psalmist in that section talks about how he desires God's word and he's walking through some struggles. You're going to trust it. You're going to discern it follow, shelter, value. And the first word I had was battle. You're going to battle with it, but you're really going to value it, continue in it constantly. And I see I used the word delight instead of desire. So you talk about how it, it is your joy. You're going to cry it out. And that's what he does in some of it. You're going to consider it constantly. You're going to rest in it. And then the word pray constant, consistently. And the word in parentheses is plead because he is pleading with the Lord and actually most of Psalm 119 is a prayer, actually. It's not a sermon. It's his prayer to God as he walks through. Now, woven through all of these sections, so we're going to focus on that topic, but woven through all these, these things are certain components that repeat words and connections that are helpful to understand and apply as we're going to work through all the sections. And so we're going to tackle just a few sections each Wednesday night less tonight than we are going to tackle in the future nights. And we're just going to work our way through this and hopefully be a little bit more interactive. And so I'm, I'm saying this so you really, it's sinking into you that not only did you have to pray with people at your table, you're going to have to talk with them about the Bible. And I know that's a horrible thing to do at church, but it's going to have to take place. All right. And so uh, today I wrote filler answers into some of the questions because I thought, what if you're just staring at me and then I was thinking, I'm just going to be a silent negotiator. I'm going to stand here. You're going to sit there. And we're just going to stare at each other back and forth and see how long we can do this. And then I knew I'd break first. So I wrote some answers down for this week. But I'm going to kind of drive it in. And I'd hate to make you run laps or do the pig races like I do with the kids. Whatever it takes to get you livened up. But we need to actually get over not talking with each other about God's word. And I know it can be nerve-wracking. Um, and I like to talk. And I tend to fill the silence. But... I want us to dialogue about how we're going to put this, and I'll talk after we get to this segment, street level. How are we turning this principle, this idea, into street level application? And in all reality, the psalm itself is at street level. He references how the society of Israel mocks God's word. They're, they're very distant from being, they're not being God's people in this moment. There is a sense of separation. They're religious, but not spiritual. And he talks about the princes mocking him and people trying to condemn him and twist the law. And he, he keeps coming back to it. So there's a man that's being somewhat afflicted, attacked, and he's always coming back to God's word and saying, this is where I'm going to spend my time. And so we're going to work through a segment at a time. And then we're going to work in these table groups. And I'll have the question up here long before we get to the time of talking. And I'm not going to make you spend it forever. Maybe it'll be three minutes, maybe five minutes. It depends how the discussion goes. And we're just going to share so we can grow through this together as a group of people. Now, I want to begin, though, with some of the words that we're going to see repeated. And the main thing I want to look at are words for Scripture that are, are said kind of over and over again. And I want to say this up front. There's eight listed here. These are the eight main ones. However, there's way and name and faithfulness that are going to come up as well. And I'll chat about those. Uh, so this is not a full all-encompassing list. I'm going to give you some direction that comes from this word in Hebrew. However, 
they're being used oftentimes interchangeably. So understand the general nature of them so we don't over dissect it. However, there is a reason why in Hebrew there was so many different words and because they, they carry some different implications. So let me begin with the word law, which is the one that's most often used in this psalm. And I want to tie into something. The parent word in Hebrew is to teach or direct. Now, the Hebrew language is different than most languages that I've tried to learn. Um, Greek and uh, Spanish and English and Dutch are all of a similar type of language where you got a word and, and they might have some derivatives and some connections, but it doesn't have as much of a lineage to its root. In Hebrew, the root is critical and, and, it, and it shapes the whole essence. And so the different derivatives give a certain emotion of the word. Uh, they drive you to a certain feeling, but the root of the word is even more important than in our language. It, it, it becomes a core. And so when you look at law and understand that its parent, its root goes back to teach or direct, you have to understand this law. And we understand what law means, right? When there's a law, you must obey the law, right? If there's a speed limit, it says 55. You're supposed to go 55, technically. I don't want to stand up here and say I'm going 55. I'm just saying... You know, I go with what I can get away with. Now, Darren and Cody Hona, they go 55 and they drive our teens. So I think that's great, setting a great example. Um, I go with the, the, the limits of the law. You know, I want to see if the cop is picky today, but they're usually not. Either way, law is law, right? So it's coming from God. Think about this. This is teaching and direction and law. We understand the concept coming from God. And so it is both law and revelation and here's the key when you see the word law. It reminds us that revelation is not simply for interest, but for obedience. And that's why the, the word law is a good word for us in English, because we understand that, right? When we have a law, we instantly know that we must what? Obey, or you face consequences. The, the only negative that I'm giving you with the word law is it loses some of its depth and beauty because it also in Hebrew is a directive. It's directing you. And so it's also teaching you. So it's not as cold as our word is, but it is as authoritative. The other side of God's word oftentimes is it's of interest. I talk to people who are lost that have no interest in obeying the law or, or God's word at all but they are interested in it. It's a curiosity to them. They don't understand why it says this. And so in the role that I'm filling, they tend to think, well, if you're a preacher, you must know what the Bible says. And we hopefully we do. Hopefully all Christians do. But sometimes people tend to think, oh, I always say that to the unsaved world, I'm their priest. And so I can come to answer questions about the Bible, but they're not interested in obedience. Their interest is curiosity. But the word law drives you to be more than curious. It doesn't want you to lose curiosity, revelation, beauty, the essence of what it is, but don't just stop there and make sure you understand you're going to obey it. It reminds us that revelation is not simply for interest. It's still interesting, still pretty, still wonderful, but it's also for obedience. Then there's the word testimonies, which this implies something, and it's the outspokenness of Scripture with high standards and frank warnings, the testimonies. It's, this is what you need to do, the standard and the high warnings. But it also connects, and this is the beauty in Hebrew, it connects to this idea of dependability. And so oftentimes you'll say, I delight in his testimonies. What is the thing about God? The warnings he give don't change. We just went through Leviticus. He says, don't do this. You read Israel's history, they do that, and they actually get exactly what God said would happen. You go to Leviticus, and you go to the end of the book of Kings, and you think, oh, wow, they did everything God said not to do in Leviticus, and he did exactly what he said he would do to them. Frank warnings. He sets a high standard. Uh, Aaron understood that, right? His sons make some wrong fire, and they're dead. God has standards, and they're high, and he doesn't apologize for them. But the word testimonies is not just the sword. It is the idea that it's dependable. When you come to God's word, you are on a sure foundation, dependable. 
high standards, frank warnings that don't shift. What's one of the things that I know will frustrate my kids when my rule, what? Changes. When it's okay yesterday, but not okay today, that is not dependability. That's fickleness. And so I just want you to kind of level in. Law is how we see it, but see the beauty without missing the obedience. Testimonies, yes, a high standard. Yes, a very frank warnings that come true. But the, the, the emotion behind the word is dependability. God's word, the testimonies. Then you get to the word precepts. This is a word that connects to management, overseeing things. It's a manager's word, the precepts. And what it is, is it ties to the particular instructions. What does a manager need to do? The CEO may not be involved in the details. They expect the managers to handle the details, right? If you have a manager over a project, if you're a project manager building a house, the implication from your company is that you're going to make sure that the boards go in the right place. You may not be nailing them there, but you're double-checking them. You're managing the project, and you will be held accountable because they expect you to handle details. Precepts are details. These are the particular instructions from the Lord, and it shows his attention to detail. So it is the idea that God's word dives into the minutiae of life. So if you wanted to put God's word at religious book, precepts, just wipe that off the table. The idea of precepts is I want God to interfere in the details of my life. That means when someone distances themselves from God's word, well, you know, when I do business, that's business. I'm a Christian and I'm a Christian businessman, but when I'm in business, I do the things for business. And God says, no. Precept says, I am involved in the details of your life. If you're writing a sales presentation and dishonesty is woven in, you can't write that off as business because God's response is precepts. What does God's word say about honesty? Well, a dishonest scale is an abomination to him. And so he says, do it right. That, that di- so I'm just giving you one illustration that can come in there. You want to cut a corner as a carpenter and think no one's going to notice? God says, precepts. I'm in the details. No, no, will make a difference. Precepts, God says, it makes a difference. Build it right. Even if it's not going to matter, it actually does. Precepts. Then you go on to statutes. And it sounds like what it is, right? A statute. It's that idea of a binding force and permanence. So now, testimony deals with the dependability of it. And statute is the fact that it's permanent. And that's true about God's word, right? There's permanency to it. He's not changing it. He's immutable. His word then is not changing, but it's this force behind it. It's a binding force. So if you want to think about it, you sign a contract, right? You scribble your name on some document that's a letter of intent. That's not what he's talking about. This is when, for Holly's trade, someone signs for a house. The check is being written. It is done. It's a binding contract. It's over. You can't back out anymore. Binding force. Then the word commandments. And commandments give us this idea that God has what's called a straight authority. There's no um, checking with the next level up. Do you have the authority to tell me what to do? Well, if you're in the army and someone's a lieutenant and they tell a private what to do, technically they need to do what they say. But if there's a captain there, I think I'm getting this right, then they might look to somebody else because someone else might have more authority than them. If business has it the same way, right? Manager's there, no one else is around, I'm listening to the manager. But if I see the big boss coming down the line, I think, huh, there might be a chance I can skate by this. It undermines the manager's authority. Commandments are this idea that God has a straight authority. He has the right to give us orders. That's something we struggle with. I'm going to rephrase it. God has the right to give you orders, even if that costs you money. God has the right to give you orders, even if it costs you a luxury. God has the right to give you orders, no matter what it does to your life. God has the right to give you orders. Ordinances, 
And that word, and the commentator I was using, they used the word ordinances. Actually, the better word is actually judgments. And depending on your translation, you're going to see the word judgments. So uh, certain translations are going to use that word. Um, That's what mine has is judgments. And it's actually a better word for ordinances because that's what it is. It's judgments that were made. This highlights the wise judge deciding or setting the precedent that's why people say this is an ordinance, right? Someone has decided on this already. This is a, there's a county ordinance. This is a street ordinance. And so it has that concept. But I like the word judgment, not because he's executing judgment upon you, but that God has already judged on this. God has made a decision. And so it's going to drive us to rightness and fairness and will push us to do his judgments, And what does that mean when we execute God's judgments? It means we follow what God has already decided. It's how we are going to deal with others, how we interact in society, what we're going to do oftentimes. And it's this idea that God has decided. And and the word we use in, in our system is precedent. So if you go to court and argue a case, if I already know that there's precedent, well, there's two ifs here. If I was a lawyer and if I was arguing a case that had precedent, then I would go there. And the one of the things I'm going to bring before the judge is precedent. This has been decided before. And it's a heavy argument that's brought. It's hard to overturn precedent, not impossible in our court systems by a long shot, but it's harder. God's precedences, his set things, his already decisions are set and we act upon it. You're going to hear the word word. And here is the broadest of the references. This kind of encompasses the all of God's truth in any form. And then the word promises, which it's funny, dabar and imar is two different words, but some translations will take the word imar and they'll translate it with word because one is word, dabar, to say. And then this one's a verb that says to say, it's what God said. And I, I tie it into this. It points to what God has said. And whenever God says something, it's a promise. Whatever he says in his word is true. It's going to come true. And so it points to promises. So I think that, that, that it's better to translate it in a different word. I think it's better to translate word for word, because that's literally Devara's word. And this is to say. And so when you translate it word, it, yeah, it's a word. It's spoken, but idea of promises comes in that God says something. And then he also has nuances of ways, which will come up a lot. His ways speaks to his word, his name, his faithfulness are woven throughout the psalm as well. But as we look at these terms, and this is critical, Psalm 119, many people critique it and say, oh, it's a worship of God's word. And then you miss how the Holy Spirit has worked with the psalmist because We don't want to fall prey to thinking that Psalm 119 is trying to worship God's word. Instead, it is about worshiping the Lord. Derek Kinder notes this. Every reference here to scripture, without exception to the whole psalm, relates explicitly to its author. Everything here has a driving force to remind you who is saying it, who gave it. And so though we may miss that at times in English because we start distancing ourselves from these words, the Hebrew is driving us to the author every single time. So as you look at all these words and the nuances or the full-bodied flavor, full-flowered, full-bodied, the, the, the expanded look at what Scripture does, never miss that over every one of these things is this pointing to the author. And so there is an idea that, that, that's woven into the Hebrew, and really it's in the English, it's just people being critical of Scripture, they just try to do that, that points to the author. And actually from verse 4 to the end, it's a prayer. And it's a prayer of affirmation addressed to him. This is true piety, a love of God not desiccated by study. Because that happens, right? People talk about the dryness of study. Oh, I'm like. Reading the, have you ever heard someone say that? I'll read the Bible. It's like chewing on wood. It's so boring. I'm like, well, yes, you're supposed to outgrow the picture Bible, right? That's, that's the idea. You should get beyond that. Um, but the idea of Psalm 119 is that this idea of deep study doesn't link to dryness. Most people think 
that certain individuals should study deeply and the rest should be able to skim the surface and get the cream, right? Get the cream. That's, you know, theoretically, my job's to be plumbing the depths of the, the well and bringing the cream to the top and you're supposed to skim off the top. That's not what Psalm 19 saying. And this is what's beautiful about it. It's saying, get in the well, dive deep. No Christian can distance themselves from deep diving. However, when we think of deep diving, we think boring. We think dry. And that's why it's not dried out by study, but instead study refreshes, informs, and nourishes your love of God. So where some people, and when you encounter this, when someone has this reaction to study, and, and I don't want you to be judgmental because you shouldn't be. I just was in India, and I'm talking to Joy Palmer, one of the pastors and one of the teachers at the Institute, and he wants me to go to Manipur. I can't go to Manipur. One, I'm not going to India tomorrow. I'm not going to go for 10 days. And the government says, don't be a fool and fly to Manipur because it's dangerous. He's from Manipur. The churches are dead there. They're old. They're locked down in associations. But Joy Palmer's from Manipur. And he says to me, hey, when we preach in those churches, the people say, ooh, expository preaching. It's what? Boring. And he says, because they're not accustomed to understand how to dive into God's word. And then he says, hey, let's go there and do this conference and let's train the pastors of these dead churches that don't preach the gospel. Maybe they'll get saved, he says. And then, and then they're going to actually preach the gospel. To which Cody and I said, great, let's train you to do this. So what's what we're in the process of? I just talked to him this morning. He's going to go out there. Hey, he's got the passion. He knows what's wrong there. And he's from Manipur. So we're going to facilitate that as a church to get him there to train People, he's already finished one of the books that we left. He said, I finished this book. I love that he already quoted from the book. He's on to the next one. He is diving in and he's passionate. I say that because he knows that people tend to run against the depth of the word. And because they are so malnourished, they're like, Ugh. but he's like, let's train the pastors to preach differently. I'm saying this to believers. Don't think of it as boring. You're looking at a malnourished Christian, someone who doesn't want to dive into God's word. That's because there's something wrong with them, not something wrong with Scripture. Now, it's not for us to say, you're messed up, get right. It's for us to, hey, we might have to cut the steak bite even smaller. Uh, you might have to pre-chew it and feed them like a bird, which is a gross image. But either way, that's what I'm, I'm going for. You need to dive in, but they need meat. They need to grow. And that's the idea of Psalm 119 is that we are going to come with a love of God that by studying his word, we will not be dried out, but instead refreshed, informed and nourished by it. So the psalmist is going to call us to action in regard to God's word. He, he's going to want us to delight in it, delight in such a way that scripture outshines the shiny things of this world. That was one quote Someone wrote, and I thought, wow, does Scripture outshine the shiny? They didn't word it that way, but they outshine the shiny things of the world. Does it outshine gold and silver? And I just put the shiny things. Does it beat the car? Does it beat the house? Does it beat the bank account? Does it outshine it? We're to love them, and as is noted by one writer, it's on God's account that we love the writings that reveal Him. Yet we never lose sight of the awesome nature of God's Word, knowing its real strength, knowing it is unshakable. The Word is light both practically, and we're going to see that in Psalm 119. It's, it's in a light. It's going to guide us. But here's the interesting thing. It's also a light educationally. Psalm 119 is going to prod us to have a discerning mind about Scripture. One writer wisely noted this. It is little help to have sight without insight. You might see everything, but you don't understand and discern it. So you need to be discerning. The Psalm 119 is going to drive you to discernment. Now, the psalmist will constantly speak to a mind fixed on Scripture, though you're going to see the world is always attacking him. There's going to be these, what, sometimes when you read Psalm 119, you think, whoa, this is random passages about going through affliction and persecution. And it's, I love God's law, I love God's law, these princes are attacking me. The people are buffeting me, but I still love God's law. And you think, they seem out of place. Well, they don't. He's actually talking about society at that moment in, in Israel. And it's not great in that sense. And it's going to close with this idea of verse 165. Great peace 
have they which love thy law. He's going to come to a conclusion that real peace, real stability in your emotions is going to be possible only through a love of God's law. What is important to note as we read, though, is each trial tightens his grip on God's word. It doesn't weaken it. That's important. We oftentimes get buffeted by this world and our, we, we start letting go of scriptural truth. And what you're going to see in the psalmist is his grip getting tighter. He's going to squeeze down. So as the world attacks, he grabs God's word. And as they attack more, he holds on even stronger. And we know in the, from the salvation, God holds us. But you see what he's grabbing hold of? What is his anchor? It's God's truth. And as Kidner notes, there shines out the quiet steadfastness of one who has chosen to live by God's decisions, refusing false paths, accepting persecution, fighting depression. In Psalm 119 is a guy that's walking through the real life. It's a, it's a wrestling. Yet the psalmist does not call us to that battle with a droopy, broken, resigned attitude. And that's what I love about Psalm 119. When you read it and you're, and you're first diving in, there's an upbeat nature to it, right? There's this there's a sing-songy like, hey, there's God's word, and it's this pep talk, and that's what it is. He is not, well, God's word. It's not an Eeyore read. It's not his, his and well, God's word will carry me through this miserable day of my miserable life, of a miserable week, year, and family, and everything else in the world. So I'll make it through. I'm going to make it. Isn't that sound like some Christians that walk through trials sometimes? Oh, I guess I'll make it. God said I'll make it through, so I guess I will. And, and everyone's like, well, if that's making it, I don't want to make it, right? But that's not the emphasis here. Instead, he walks into the fray enthusiastic for God and his word. He's, and I love this statement, running the race, not just plodding through it. He's not just making it in the Christian walk. He's what Paul says, I'm running my race. He's energized to learn. There's not an implication that he knows it all. He says, teach me multiple times and be constantly renewed in God's most beautiful word and in all its facets. And that is what I want us to capture this spring as we embrace and internalize God's word. Psalm 119 is filled with beautiful expressions and petitions about God's word. And you can get lost in the flowers and miss the plants if you're just wandering through and just taking a light breeze through it. And so I want us to move from those emotions, which are not wrong. They're good emotions. They're good connections. And I want you to stop. And I want you to understand what's taking place, because that's what Psalm 119 is pushing us to. Um, so get beyond just appreciation of the beauty and get to the application of it. So we're going to work through these together, taking time to chat as a group and then share insights as a whole. And my encouragement throughout this study, and this is something, and I'm sure you know what I'm about to say, read Psalm 119 weekly. I originally wrote daily, and then I thought, they're going to stone me. So weekly, can you get through this weekly? And here's what you'll end up doing. You will read Psalm 119 eight times from now till the end of May. In June, we shift to our summer schedule, and we go to open church, and we have the vacation Bible school and camp and and a host of different things that we do. But from now until the close, my goal is to be in Psalm 119, to walk our way through it, to understand it. And if you'll read weekly, and we'll dive into these segments, there's 22 of them. We'll hopefully do two tonight, and then we'll work our way through it. And, and look, if, if for some reason I'm gone for a Wednesday, I don't see it there, but if I am, well, then the person teaching can dive in and take a couple segments, right? We can just go right and keep moving through this. What a beautiful passage we have here to, to dive through. And so I want to challenge you, read it once a week. It's, I think, 176 verses. I might be wrong on that and be guessing, but it's a lot. I get it. If you read it all in one fell swoop, 15 minutes, maybe 25, if it's harder to read. But you sit down, that's a cup of coffee if you drink quick, right? So you can, you can work through it. I drink, I can get two cups of tea in that time, but that's... That's just me. But we're going to work through it. Try to get through it. Maybe break it out. Uh, if you do it in five days, and you're going to read four segments a day or four plus an extra bonus on Saturday. But you can break it down however you want. It's, it's just it's not a lot to read daily, but try to get through it weekly. And so let's begin now with the first segment. And you're going to notice it's walk 
consistently. And I'm going to give you the questions we're going to ask at the end. So what are we going to discuss as a group? What is table three going to dive in and give everyone here in the room? How do you walk in the law today? What does that look like? What does it look like to keep his... I'm not just talking about table three. It's all you tables. I just saw them first. So what does it look like to keep his testimonies and his precepts? We're going to come back to those definitions a little bit. What does respecting his commandments entail? What does that mean? And then what is implied by keeping his statutes? And so just these are trying to drive us in, and I'll explain those a little bit more. But I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 119. Follow along, if you will, in yours, uh, your Bible there. I've made a copy because the Bible I'm using here is ginormous and doesn't fit on this thing. It's a Spanish to English Bible, so I can do it in any language you want. Well, I can do it in two languages, um, one of which I will do poorly, so I'm going to go with English. But here it is, Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, don't miss that, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. And understand, he's not being emotional at the end. He understands that without knowing God's word, he is not going to know God. And so what do we look at here? And I just want to look at a few things, and you guys then can nervously stare at the questions. All right? But I want to give you a few examples. I'm going to say them again. Walk in the law of the Lord, keep his testimonies, walk in his ways, keep thy precepts, directed to keep thy precepts, respect unto all thy commandments. I will keep thy statutes. And there is a devotional on this psalm that I I read through uh, all the psalms. And then that author states of this segment in summary, I just compiled what he said. His word is absolutely authoritative and must be obeyed. Statutes are permanently relevant which is driven by the different words we looked at. Uh, The idea of walking in God's word encompasses the all of life. And that's what it means by walk consistently. That when you are walking in God's word, it is not a Sunday and Wednesday. It's not a sometimes. It is this idea that it will permeate your life. It is absolutely authoritative. It is permanently relevant. If your heart crops up, well, that doesn't relate to today, you immediately know something's wrong because God's word is permanently relevant. And so as it convicts you, your sinful spirit and nature is going to say, well, that doesn't relate to today. That doesn't apply to me. This doesn't work in today's economy. God is not concerned with what our culture is doing and what our economy is at all. They, and in the least bit, is he wants you to do what he says because his word is permanently relevant, right? We talked about that, the binding force and the permanency of his word. That's why it comes up. And so the idea of walking encompasses the all of our life. The psalmist starts by showing that obedience to the word of God is the key of life. The point of a consistent walk is that it is the driving force in every decision and movement. Now, the first verse says the undefiled. Some translations will talk about the word blameless. There's the two of those words are translated differently, but they're the same word. And it says, thus, the undefiled or blameless are those whose life is fully integrated around the Lord's law. What is the blameless life? How is it going to look? How is it going to be framed? How do, how do you live this? Because when someone, when I read the word an undefiled life or a blameless life, I immediately think about all my shortcomings, right? The how in the world am I going to respond to all of life's situations in the way that God wants it? How can I even framework it? And the whole point is, if you're fully integrated around the Lord's law, everything, both outwardly, your walk, and inwardly, as he says, seek him with the whole heart, is done in line with God's revealed word. 
Now, the psalmist is writing at a time when they have the Pentateuch, maybe some prophets. What do we have? We have the whole word. So as you read what he says, and then you understand how much more revealed word that you have, and God expects him to do this, how much more is expected of us, how much more responsibility we bear. It's not like you say, well, I'll just focus on what he was focusing on. No, it's driving to everything about God's word, and we sit in a time where we have all of it. It's done in line, and, and we as a church have the abundant blessing of his completed word, with which we are to be guided in the all. Remember the, the idea of precepts, the idea of details, the idea of the minutia of life. Where does Scripture speak when you walk consistently? Everywhere. That means how I respond to my kids, regardless of how many hours I've worked, how grumpy I feel, where I came back from, whether I'm puking. All those things don't matter. God says, I respond to my children the way that he dictates. Not the way my emotions dictate, not the way they justify how I respond, not the way that because I say, man, they're irritating as all get out. I can say it about it. They're my kids, right? So I'm allowed to pick a little bit. My mom's going to shoot me afterwards, but right? All that stuff. I cannot justify any behavior. Why? I know exactly how I'm supposed to respond. How? God told me. Well, that guy's a cheat at work. What a sorry dog he is. If you're going to play his game, I better play it with him. Cheat the cheaters, right? Well, not in God's eyes. Maybe you don't do business with the cheaters. Maybe you double count your money uh, when you leave. I just had that happen. I went to the bank and rarely do I get cash out, but I needed to pay somebody. And so I got some cash out and I started counting through the cash. And I, I, I usually just get one denomination, make it easy, but I was breaking it up, right? I just went to India and realized I had no dollar bills. And so there was just nothing I could hand out uh, without giving away the farm in essence. And uh, I'm leaving and it's, it's not right. I look at the thing and, and I, I leave and I'm like, it doesn't, it's not right. And so I drive to, I go from Wells Fargo and I drive over uh, to, um, tractor supplies. I'm looking for some posts. And I'm like, I count my money. I didn't look for posts because they were $50 short. And I went back in line and I got my 50 bucks, right? If you deal with the cheater, you don't cheat them. You double count. I shouldn't have left the bank without counting. I should have known I'm uneasy. Counted again in line, right? But what I'm saying is you can't justify wrong because God's word deals with the minutia of life. You can't, you cannot justify wandering outside of his precept for any reason. There is no circumstance on earth that will drive you to disobey his law. Because he's already told you, I'm in the minutiae of life. I'm the manager. I'm in the details. The idea permeates that we are constantly guided through his word in everything. And, and verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. And, and that's meaning this, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. So the idea may be directed that we're seeing translated is not that it, it needs direction. It's that, that it stays in his way. And that's why I put the word walk consistently up there. Now, we've encountered quite the list of words that refer to Scripture. And I see I've burned up most of my time, so we're not going to get to one of them today. So you, you're off the hook for number two. See, number two, I have to give you a head start for next week, you know, practical real life. We'll start with that. So we're going to land here. This is where the plane lands, and then we'll go to awkward silence, and then we'll leave. So we're going to dive into the, the list. I just want you to remember the list. Law. So let me walk through it. Law. What is listed here? Way, law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, statutes. Of the eight or nine that we talked about, there's seven there, I think. It's covering about the whole gamut of all of them. And the idea is walk consistently. So we have about seven minutes left. So let's take five. And as table groups, so table three, table six, Bob, you can just shout over to any table you want or get close and make them sick. Whatever you feel like doing, you know, I don't know how that works. We can put the healing force around you. But at each table, why don't you guys start chatting about it. Uh, table four, do you mind bouncing over to table six? Can you, can you do that there? I promise that Eric looks like he bites, but he doesn't. Um, at least that's what I'm told by the kids. He doesn't bite. He just looks like a biter. But if you guys go over there, walk through these. So how do you walk in the law today? 
I'm going to give you an illustration. We are driven by a woke culture. It's, it's, it permeates everything. Leviticus, though, had shared about we treat everyone equally. So we understand how bad our past is, but we can understand how bad we are today. Or you look at uh, what people are doing on advertisement. What, what, is, what is the figure promoted now? By the way, it was Bud Light first. Now it's Nike shoes. And they're promoting what? Transgenderism. What's the response from Scripture? What does God call that? Inversion, abomination. I would, I'm not saying burn your Nike shoes. That just makes them more money. I'm just saying maybe, maybe you don't purchase something that promotes a wicked lifestyle. Make a change. I'm just pointing to the practicality of it. So how do you walk in the law today? Think of some practical things that dive in there. What does it look like to keep his testimonies and precepts? Think about what those words mean. And then respecting his law commandments. So just think about this in a practical. This is what I put. I hope as we walk through this that we can make sure the principles and theory of God's instructions reach the street level application. So go ahead and be specific to your work. Miss Holly is a realtor, so she needs to apply this to realtoring. Is that what they call it? Realtoring? A realtor relates? <laughs> we won't get into the weeds here, right? Whatever you do. Corey, you do a lot of project management, I believe, on construction. Relate it to that. There is managers here. There, is, there are bosses here. There's, I'm sure, programmers here. There's retirees here. You relate it to sitting on the couch, I'm just kidding, and doing nothing all day long. What does that mean? You know, what does that look like? But try to relate this. Let's take five minutes, and then we're just going to share an insight from every table, and then we're going to close from there. So go ahead and talk. I'm going to stop.
All right, we have one minute left, so we're just going to circle the, the tables and just give me one insight, any of the questions to say I'm answering two, and give us, give us something from one of those things. We'll do an order, table two. What do you got for us? Someone jump up and say something. And the nice thing about habits is it, as you get confronted against your habit, it only reinforces your habit. You get more entrenched in it as you build something. So that's perfect. What about table number three? Not all at once. So couch potato. Okay, we got it. Might be interest, right? <laughs> at least we're moving, we're moving in the right direction. We're seeing a consistent pattern, right? Building a habit, building this pattern of faithfulness that will come through. So that, that's very helpful to dive in. Table number, where's table number five? You're next there. Yeah, which in, even when you talk about 13 and testimony, and we'll be in it next week, but with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. So what is God? A judgment is that is an ordinance. God has already pre-decided what does he want us to do and treat them as Christ would want them to be treated. So we expand it out. Table six, and you can even toss it to Bob because he's over there in isolation land. We'll call him, what is that, zone 51? Is that the government term for that? <laughs> he's off in alien land there. What do we got, table six and zone 51?
No, I think that's very helpful, this idea. Well, I hope you see there's habit to pattern to getting into the depth of things. I'll share a small testimony. So I was, I was in a counseling appointment with Heather, and I was sharing something that I'd been reading. So I was sharing with the person, hey, I've been reading this text, and I'm reading through a whole book of the Bible, and there's one word that keeps coming out at me. And I mentioned the word, and I, so I'm sharing this. And this is the first time Heather's heard me say this. It's been about five weeks. I've been going through this book of the Bible, going through it, and one word, one word, I keep bringing it up. And at the end of the counseling appointment, Heather said, oh, that's interesting. I've noticed that that's been different in your life. I just didn't quite pinpoint what had changed. And I always love, because I can never see it. I feel like I'm floundering still uh, every time. But what you mentioned about the, the details and the habit is that sometimes we don't even realize what's been built and the pattern that you're talking about. And so we're seeing a diligence and we tend to see like we're constantly stumbling, but we might be surprised how other people around us see the pattern that we're building. So we're building a habit to a pattern that we dive into the details and we're trying to grasp them all. And it's going to be reflected in how we respond to people and how we act and what they see and they should be seeing Christ in us. So I think we're grasping the idea of walking consistently. Uh, We'll close and I didn't get to what I was hoping to, but you'll know what the next question is going to be. Uh, Come up with some practical real life ways that we can be active seekers because the next one is to seek consistently. And we're talking about his word every time to seek his word consistently. So what does it mean to be an active seeker? And I I share this sometimes in sermons. If you're just going to be passive, you're not going to do what God wants to do. So we're going to dive into that and and get in that. We're going to also do some more sections of Psalm 119. Dive in. I hope that you'll take the challenge. Read Psalm 119 weekly. So get through it. Uh, When I say this and I tell you this guiltlessly, there is no reason you cannot read Psalm 119. I don't care how busy you are. It doesn't take, you have 15, 20 minutes in your week that you can dedicate to God's word. So if you didn't do it, then get here and start speed reading as fast as you can, because we're going to be like, put the condemnation on you for that and make sure you feel the weight of God's word. Just kidding. Now no one's showing up on Wednesdays, Um, but we're going to, we're going to be dismissed. I do want to mention this on Sunday. I will be talking about softball. Our church has a softball team few things we're going to be changing. One is the age requirement. So you're going to be 16. Uh, we're going to be working towards the 17 mark because it looks like the league is going that way. And we do want to get our roster down a little bit. The other thing that we're having a rule is we want you to sign up. We want you to play. But if you can't make 80% of the games, don't sign up. And then there'll be a couple other things I'll share in the meeting. However, you want a t-shirt. You say, Kenny, I want a softball t-shirt. Don't want to play softball. Give us 10 bucks. Tell Farron your size. He'll get you a softball jersey. You can pretend to be on the team and never play. So that's not a problem. Still get to the t-shirt. But if you like softball, want to play, we'll be having a meeting after church on Sunday. I wanted to give you guys the heads up. You're here on Wednesday. So you got the first dibs. We're building the roster out. And so a couple of things, but encourage you if you're able to make it, it's a great time of fellowship and fun that our church enjoys. You are dismissed.